Well, hello there, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Bet US NFL Show. We are ready to go for week number eight. I'm merely TJ Reeves. The handicappers are back. The boys are back. Scott Kellen, Chris Farley, good to be back with you as we are ready for another week. Uh, a week that will begin on Thursday night football with my Buccaneers that will roll all the way through someone's Packers playing Sunday night in Buffalo. And what's this I see? The New York Giants in a marquee game with the Seattle Seahawks at 6-1. and one. We're all good. Uh, boys, all, always good to be with you. Uh, Chris Farley, how you feeling for another Thursday? I can't, can't help but feel pretty good. The Giants keep on winning. Uh, we'll see how I feel about them about this week's game. But had a good week last week. Had a good week in the show. So let's keep it rolling. We want to do that. Scott Kellen, what's going on with the Packers? I know you back them. I know you scan and analyze everything, but they've got a huge game. Aaron Rodgers, a massive underdog in Buffalo. Be a very interesting game to talk about on the show. How you feeling? Uh, I'm good, uh, TJ. Uh, yeah, Packers are up against it this week. Uh, not as good a week last week, but I, I found interesting the one game I won last week was the one that I had the least amount of analysis on, just saying, hey, my numbers support it. So that's all you're going to get this week is just the numbers, and that'll be it, and hoping to win them all that way. The so. bare minimum is all yeah. that you need, people. You're on a need-to-know basis from Kellen this week. That's what he is saying uh, on the predictions. Uh, so let's get into our records. Let's take a look at what we have overall here on the show uh, here for this week. Through seven weeks, you see we're just above the 500 mark. Scott right at it. Chris right at it. We aim to be better coming up uh, today on the program. And again, I'm anxious to see what these guys think. And in fact, we're going to have plays on the Thursday night game right away. Shall we? I think we shall. I will be in the house coming up on Thursday night if you're watching us live here in the 1 Eastern Time Hour as the Buccaneers play host to the Baltimore Ravens, I did not think I would be saying with the Buccaneers at 2-0 and off of wins over the Cowboys and the Saints, the Bucs have to win this game or they're 3-5 and having lost five of six games. That just came out of my mouth on the BetUS NFL show. That's what's at stake tonight. We have line movement, gentlemen. Buccaneers have now become a two-point favorite in this one. The total is 46. Both handicappers are on this game. Chris Farley, I'll begin with you. What do you like for this evening's Thursday night matchup? Yeah, believe it or not, TJ, despite what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have shown us now, week after week after week, I think this is a pretty darn good spot for the Bucs to correct some things and get a win at home. So I'm going to take the Bucs money line tonight. The reason why I'm taking the money line is twofold. Uh, you know, the, the Ravens have Justin Tucker, first of all, so they can keep the game close. You know, even if he's kicking, you know, 60 yards out, apparently. Uh, and I don't, I just, I don't, I, I still don't trust the Bucks to win by margin necessarily. But Baltimore Ravens, they're still not very good against the run. The last two weeks, you might think they're better against the run because they faced the Giants team, who's a one trick pony, and they did well. And the Browns just are refusing to run as much as they should. So some of their marks went up the past few weeks, but they're still not very good against the run. And obviously, they're facing a Bucks team that can't get their run game going. This seems like a good spot to get it going. Fournette, you know, he's ready to go. He's healthy. If they can open up the run game, it obviously opens up the pass game. And sometimes, you know, as a team who's struggling, certainly the Bucks are 17 points per game. It's just not reminiscent of a Tom Brady team. They're struggling in the red zone, et cetera. But sometimes you just need to face an equally flawed team and in a good spot for yourself. And I think that's what we're going to see tonight. The, you know, the Ravens consistently mess up in the fourth quarter. I thought they probably should have lost that game last week as well. The Browns just made more egregious mistakes at the end. But, you know, the Bucs are back at home after 
two games where they were double-digit favorites on the road. So this is a great spot for them to make some things up here. I don't care as much about their secondary injuries either because, again, I think that Ravens uh, passing attack is a little flawed, is a little underwhelming. So I think the Bucks finally take care of business tonight, just taking the money line. They have to lay a, bit, a little bit of juice, but I think it's worth it on this occasion. All right. Uh, interesting, Scott Kellen, that the line movement from yesterday uh, to today is about three points in Tampa Bay's favor. So it indicates a couple of things. The Buccaneers are without Antoine Winfield. They're starting safety ruled out with a concussion. And maybe Mark Andrews is a question mark, the tight end, the favorite target of Lamar Jackson. I was saying to you, though, I want your thought here. What, why do you think this line has moved? Is it just people who waited as late as they could to get what they could on Tampa Bay and piled on? What's your theory? And I know you have an official play as well. Yeah, I'm going to be on Tampa Bay lane, the two. I think the money line's fine as well. I, You know, kind of in line with what you're asking, TJ, I, I played Tampa Bay yesterday. When I saw it start to move, I think I grabbed plus one, plus one and a half, something there. I'd still play it at two. I favor Tampa by a little bit over three in this game. But I, I think what happened was Andrews came out the practice report yesterday, another day of not practicing. So people probably got a little bit worried. I didn't realize this. You know, I, I watch every game every week, but obviously pay more attention to the games that I, I have bets on uh, than the other games. Uh, and, you know, I, I watched the Baltimore game last week. I'm sure Chris watched it uh, very intently because he had Cleveland. But Andrews only had two targets last week and did not catch a pass, which might have been an indication of just how banged up he really was. Uh, now, just recently, it looks like they're saying he's he's hopefully can play. I think Bateman will play. He, he had a full practice yesterday. Uh, so I think it's sharp money. Uh, you know, I was kind of waiting and was probably going to be on Tampa Bay regardless. And then all of a sudden, you know, some of that news starts to come out. You can see the line start to move. You know, that plays into it as well. I hope he plays because I've got the over in this game as well. Uh, I agree with Chris, though. I think this is a, a perfect spot for him. The Ravens, first of all, they're the 31st in the league in generating big pass plays. I know they run the ball a lot, so some of that plays into that. Uh, but Tampa Bay doesn't really give up big pass plays. They're sixth in the league in defending them. Uh, and Tampa Bay is third best in the league in limiting pressure. And the Ravens just don't really put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So if Tampa Bay wants to throw the ball, which they do a lot, obviously, I think they're going to be able to do that uh, some in this game. From an over standpoint, uh, you know, no Antoine Winfield, like you said. Carlton Davis out again. You know, he, he has not been having a great year this year, but they've got some issues back there. And I don't, you know, maybe some of the success Carolina had last week uh, you know, came about a little bit because Antoine Winfield got knocked out in that game. A question for you on this, TJ. Carolina obviously beat Tampa Bay fair and square last week. But looking at the, the stats in this game, Tampa Bay drove into Carolina territory five times, only had one three and out. Carolina only had, five, what was it, four drives that went more than three plays. Every other drive they had was three <laughs> plays and out. I know are you crap. are you trying to ask me to explain the unexplainable? I still yes, don't yes, have yes. an explanation four days later on an interim coach, Steve Wilkes, a third string quarterback on PJ Walker. And like you mentioned, uh, they didn't do a whole lot except for a couple of drives in the game. And the Buccaneers scored three points in the game. Yeah. I am still mystified on that. I don't have an explanation on that. Part of it is getting back to running the ball. The Buccaneers are dead last. And, and Scott, I think that's a big part of this play tonight is they believe they will be able to run it better in this game tonight. You know, a, a stat I saw this morning, too, 
the Buccaneers have converted only 50%, I believe, of their third and ones this year. Maybe that's fourth and ones as well. Uh, and that's the worst in the league, obviously. And I don't, you know, I don't know how many they've ran on in those versus passing, but they're obviously not getting that done. You got the Evans drop. I woke up at three in the morning uh, this morning, TJ, and remember that play, and then remembered I lost my fantasy game by about five <laughs> points, and I've got Evans. So I'm like, oh my god, that that actually literally cost me, right? And who knows? Maybe the game plays a little bit differently if he catches that ball, but. Sure. But I do think this is just a good spot for them. My numbers favor them from a side standpoint, and they do project a little bit higher points. Both these teams have struggled in offense recently, but just the talent on this team, that's part of the makeup of the player ratings. They get adjusted every week you know, if they're not performing, but they still suggest there's some talent here to score some points as well. I really hope Andrews plays from that standpoint because I do think that would be devastating to Baltimore. But if he doesn't play, that just helps, you know, Chris and I's uh, side pick as well uh, on Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay and the over for me in this game. All right, let's lock both guys in here on the Buccaneers for Thursday night. Again, Chris Farley on the money line. Scott Kellen is not only uh, on the Buccaneers, but on the over of 46 points. Keep in mind the Buccaneers have one touchdown, one in their last nine quarters that came in Pittsburgh two weeks ago, you gotta, you gotta feel they're going to break out. And maybe tonight is the night where they get, Oh, heaven, three touchdowns, maybe more uh, in this game uh, at home. We'll see what Brady and company have for Thursday night football. One other quick note, uh, Tom Brady, a year ago, two and O on Thursday night. It was the opening night game with the Cowboys, not a short week in that instance, but it was a short week at Philadelphia. Buccaneers won the game at Philly for whatever that's worth a short week with Baltimore coming to Tampa for the Bucks and the Ravens. Okay, we should make mention, I will be at Raymond James Stadium live for a special uh, little pre uh, preview of the game tonight. We're also talking Three Dog Thursday. The Bucks were an underdog yesterday, so we were all over the Buccaneers on Three Dog Thursday, and we'll be right here on this BetUS NFL channel as well, so you can see some of what we've already done on Three Dog Thursday, but again, live at 5 Eastern time. If you're seeing us live today on Thursday, I'll be live at 5 Eastern time uh, from Raymond James Stadium. We look forward to seeing whatever's going to happen with the Buccaneers and the Ravens. We'll tell you more about that game. We'll answer some questions, live component, all of it later on tonight. And we should make mention we're here every week live at 1 Eastern time with this BetUS NFL show, and you get a full look at every game that's going on. Even if the guys don't have an official play, we'll go over it, we'll give thoughts, etc. You see our rundown on the side of the screen. So we'll take advantage of that here on the show. To that end, let's move on to the weekend. And game number two involves the London International game between the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars back in their home away from home. They play every year in the international game because of uh, owner Shad Khan doing a multi-year multi deal with the league uh, and with uh, Wembley Stadium. So that's where this contest will take place. Russell Wilson is a question mark. He did practice on a limited basis. It's already over because England is five hours ahead of Eastern time. He did practice on a limited basis in England earlier today. Who knows if he's going to play? Jaguars are the two-and-a-half-point favorite uh, on the neutral field. The total is 39 uh, in this game. We don't have an official play. Chris Farley, let's hear from you just real quick here on this. There are rumors circulating in the Denver market that Nathaniel Hackett's job may be on the line. The first-year coach, only six or seven games in. That looms over Denver as they have flown all the way to London. A thought if no official play. Well, this is, I think, one of the tougher games on the entire slate to pick. 
and that's because both teams are fairly desperate. Obviously, Jaguars losing quite a few games in a row. And Jaguars are not a surefire thing from London either. They're 4-4 four and four straight up. So, yeah, they played there a lot, but they don't always win. Um, and, you know, Broncos are on their way. Maybe Russell Wilson plays. Apparently, he's stretching for four hours on the plane flight over. Cool. Uh, I mean, he's just as weird as it gets. So I just don't know what to, what to expect from that Broncos offense. I'll say this. Both teams, and this makes it even harder, are, are built very similarly. They both want to run the ball a lot. Um, and opposing offenses have been trying to expose Devin Lloyd on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is getting exposed on a regular basis. So that could be a good thing for the Broncos passing game. But the most elite unit on the field for me is a Denver Broncos defense that has played really well, especially against the pass. Um, so I don't think this is going to be a big Trevor Lawrence game or anything. Slight lean to the under because I think both defenses could, could I mean, obviously thrive here because especially the Broncos haven't shown us much of anything. And then the Broncos have a matchup advantage on defense against the Jags. But tough, uh, tough game, tough line. I, I would just rather not have any action on it. And again, your Giants won in Jacksonville with Daniel Jones making a couple of big plays uh, in the game. Scott Kellen, a thought from you on a Jacksonville team that has shown some life, some offense. Travis Etienne, the running back, the Clemson teammate of Trevor Lawrence, ran it very well last week. That may be a factor. Both teams head all the way across the Atlantic to go play this game in London. Any thought from you, if no uh, official play? Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just give some thoughts, uh, TJ, on really maybe where this goes the rest of the season with both these teams, quite frankly. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, can you remember back in, I don't know, I think it was preseason, we talked about the Pythagorean theorem, which is actually a pretty good predictor, uh, you know, from last year's results to what might happen this year. We're seeing a little bit of that with the Raiders regressing. Uh, if you look at this kind of mid-season, Jacksonville's kind of underperforming um, based on where they maybe they should be. You know, just looking... They should probably have about four wins now. They should be four and three, possibly, rather than two and five. They're 0 and four in one score game. So uh, at some point here, there's probably something coming from a Jacksonville standpoint that's going to get a little bit better than what they've seen recently, potentially. Uh, now, obviously, these teams can can do this throughout the whole year. That's certainly going to happen. From a Denver standpoint, I think we kind of get um, uh, lulled into this, hey, Denver sucks and all this and that. But like Chris pointed out, this defense is, is lights out defense. And the offense is actually about an average, well, they're a little bit below average offense, but they're just not converting situations. But they're going to play a bad defense here in Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, Denver has played a few bad defenses this year, uh, namely the Raiders, Houston, uh, Seattle, the Chargers. They've averaged 6.8 yards of play in two of those games, 5.4, 4.7. They have a chance, and this is all based on Wilson playing and being somewhat effective, of course, if he doesn't and he isn't, then all bets are off. But they have a chance, I think, to move the ball here a little bit. Um, and I just don't see Jacksonville scoring a whole lot of points here. Jacksonville's played one good defense, really, this year. That was Philly. He scored 21 points. Seven came on a pick six. So they've really scored 14. Um, and th their offense has been a little bit above average. But Denver, against above average offenses, has basically limited those teams to 17, 32, and 19 points. The Raiders got 32 points. I don't see Jacksonville getting more than 16 points or so. Denver against these bad defenses they face this year, 16 points three times out of in, in those four games, which is an odd number, and 23 points against the Raiders. I think I don't have another team to tease us with right now, and we don't know if Wilson's playing, but 
Denver getting eight and a half points on a teaser, I just cannot see Jacksonville running away with this. And Jacksonville, since 2018, 4-12 against the spread uh, as a favorite, whether that's home, away, in London. Um, they don't win by distance. A teaser, if we could find another team to tease us with, would not be a bad play for Denver if Wilson is effective in this game. All right, so we'll keep an eye on the injury situation there again. Brett Rippian is the uh, quarterback that played last week, former Boise State quarterback. He may be in uh, for this game uh, for Denver. And again, a lot of controversy on are they going to make a couple of trades? I mean, it would be pretty, pretty cold-blooded to bring guys all the way to England and then trade them before the game is played. You would think they're not going to make a trade before Sunday play the game, and then maybe they deal somebody during the off week right before the trading deadline. Jerry Judy's name keeps coming up, as I mentioned, at wide receiver. We'll see. But no official play from the guys here on Broncos and Jaguars in this matchup. Again, that'll be 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. Early start, standalone game uh, for Denver and Jacksonville. Let's move on. We're a surprise team from Monday Night Football. The Chicago Bears will remain on the road and play the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys off of a win over the Lions get to face another NFC North team now in Chicago, and they lay 10 points in this one. I mean, the Bears won convincingly in New England, but apparently right now for the odds makers, BetUS and everywhere, they still say, how about them Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott and company? Uh, total is 42 and a half. Chris Farley, we are back to you. You do have an official play on this. Where are you going, my friend? I do. I'm going to bet on the Bears here in this spot, plus 10. And, you know, maybe not a comfortable spot coming off Monday Night Football, short, a little bit shorter over a week. But, I, you know, you could argue that that's momentum, right? They're coming off of a really good win. Nobody expected them to win that game, uh, especially at New England against New England's defense. But the Bears found a way. And I think they're starting to turn things around. Uh, it feels like maybe they stole a little trick out of the New York Giants playbook because really all it takes with a quarterback like Justin Fields, you know, is just move him around more, right? And he's he's tough as nails. He can get hit. He gets right back up. He's making some pretty darn good throws. And I know that how good the Dallas Cowboys defense is, Lord knows. Uh, they can get after the quarterback. They can chase down quarterbacks. But and, and certainly they're going to have a matchup advantage, their defensive line against Chicago's offensive line. But there's just a few buy signs and good things that I see about these Chicago Bears. Uh, Matt Eberflus, you know, you're seeing that defense improve almost every single week. Obviously, they're going to miss Robert Quinn. That, you know, stinks that trade. I mean, the Eagles just got even better, which is annoying as a Giants fan. But, uh, you know, the Bears are, are fighting. They're, they're a different team this year on, on a few levels. And I certainly didn't expect that. And, you know, the Manning brothers on uh, the ESPN2 version of Monday Night Football were talking a lot about how, how good Matt Eberflus is at simplifying the defense. And you can see that. You know, these guys are, are, are fighting hard. They're disciplined in their assignments. I like what I'm seeing from Justin Field. And, you know, this is kind of a sleepy spot for the Cowboys, too. They have a bye week after this, a chance to rest up and get ready for the second half of their season. Kind of like that the Bears are coming in with some momentum. And we know now at this point in the season, many of us have experienced this. We've been kicked out of survivor contests. You know, this is a really <laughs> tough year in NFL betting because favorites of seven points or more are six and 16 against the spread this year, 30%. And that would be four and 16 if you take away the Buffalo Bills wins, right? Because they're responsible for one third of those wins. So these big favorites just aren't hitting. It's just the Bills that are hitting, really. Uh, and this is too many points, in my opinion. For a Cowboys team who, yes, is very talented, but the Bears hang around. 
They fight. And I don't think this is like a circle spot for the Dallas Cowboys. And one last note, the Dallas Cowboys offense, nothing is explosive so far. Nothing is jumping off the page. I don't know right. if they can really get ahead in this game either. And, you know, as long as you have Justin Fields scrambling around, he can keep this close. So Bears plus 10 for me. And remember last week against the Lions, it was a 6-3 Lions lead late in the first half. It was 10-6 midway through the third quarter, to your point about not running away. Scott Kellen, a thought here on Chicago, who I believe they were it finished at like eight or nine point underdog, won the game. Now you've got a chance to maybe, dare we say, upset the Cowboys as a 10-point underdog this week. That's pretty unusual, very unusual to be that big of an underdog and have a shot to win in back-to-back games. But the Bears... Kind of feeling good a little bit right now. I know you don't have an official play. Any quick thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, more, more so kind of what I'll be watching in this game. I think the one question is, you know, the Bears kind of unleashed Justin Fields in that game with some really designed run plays. That, and, and then, of course, he scrambled on some, you know, third and 19s or whatever they were and, and you know, and picked up the 20 yards needed. And that's just hard to defend. And so, you know, is there going to be more of that coming which all of a sudden kind of makes this offense a little bit more efficient and, and really tough to defend. You can look at all your numbers in the, in the world, defending runs, passes, whatever, but when a team kind of comes at you from that angle, it's just a different style. So, And he's got a lot of talent. So, uh, you know, they, they still get sacked a ton when they throw. Thank God for them. They only throw about 35% of the time. And, you know, if they can stay in the game, they don't have to worry about that because Dallas is going to definitely bring pressure. I saw one of our viewers, Scott, said – uh, you know, D- Dallas will bring a lot of pressure, and they certainly will uh, if if he has to throw the ball, and that will could be a death sentence to a degree. Um, but if you know, if if they unleash him again, and they just keep expanding in this offense, the one weakness Dallas has is I think they're giving up about 5.2 yards a rush. It's about 0.5 yards a rush more than what their opponents are averaging. So they have been a little bit below average defending the rush. Uh, and to your point, TJ. Both these teams, Dallas and Detroit last week, averaged 5.6 yards of play. Uh, I believe Dallas was plus four in the turnover ratio. That 24 to six score, not even close to. And remember, one of the turnovers Detroit had was on the one yard line after, you know, they thought maybe they were in, in the end zone and, and weren't. So that 24 to six score really was not uh, resembling really what happened in that game. And, and you know, to Chris's point, Dallas, I think looking here, they're the fourth worst team in the league in generating big pass plays. Yeah, some of that was maybe on Cooper Rush, but they didn't look super explosive. Gallup doesn't look like anything that we've seen in the past. It's, you know, I got to see more out of this Dallas offense um, before I can really trust them to really be explosive again on offense. They do have a history of laying seven points or more of doing very well in this spot, but I'm not seeing it right now. And I'm a little gun shy, you know, based on what I saw from the Bears last week. My numbers support Dallas in this game. Uh, but I'm not playing it, um, you know, for all the reasons just mentioned. All right. Whenever I see this matchup in Dallas, I know it's a new stadium. I always think back to the 85 Bears, and I was a big Sports Illustrated guy. I got the magazine and the cover. The cover when the 85 Bears destroyed the Cowboys was simply 44-0 exclamation point. They annihilated <laughs> Dallas on that day, and that was really the point where everybody started to go, wait a minute, Chicago may win the whole thing, and they did eventually win the whole thing. This is not the Monsters of the Midway. This is not the 80, uh, the 85 Bears. We'll see what this version of the Bears can do. Uh, Chris Farley believes they'll do enough. We lock him in. He will take the points. He says too many points against the Dallas Cowboys just to hang around and keep it close in this matchup. 
Let's move on, and we do so with a matchup involving the Las Vegas Raiders coming into the Big Easy to play the struggling New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Raiders off a win last week uh, over the Houston Texans will lay a point here against a Saints team that was beaten back on Thursday night football in Arizona. Uh, we see the total at 50 in this game. We do not have an official play. Scott Kellen, I'm going to come right back to you where New Orleans is trying to get better. We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be either. Andy Dalton struggled in the Thursday night game. Is Jameis Winston healthy enough? They've, they've got Taysom Hill. They've also got Ian Book waiting on the bench, too. they got four quarterbacks in the room. Scott, any thoughts here on the Raiders who ran it well with Josh Jacobs coming into the Superdome? Yeah, I mean, too many questions right now. I, You know, Landry and Thomas did not practice yesterday at the wide receiver position, so we'll see. They've been out forever. Lattimore, you know, is still missing. They were missing uh, uh, Debo, another guy in the secondary last week. So a lot of question marks just from an injury standpoint for them uh, before I can, you know, really do anything with this game. I'd love to be able to tease New Orleans in this game, but again, all these question marks. New Orleans lost that game 42-34 last week. They actually outgained, uh, just trying to find my numbers here, they outgained Arizona seven yards of play to 5.4 yards of play. We know there were the two consecutive pick sixes uh, at the end of the first half that really got New Orleans down. They couldn't recover from. And if we, if we remember, there was a drive earlier than that where New Orleans drove down inside the 20-yard line, maybe even inside the 10-yard line, and Dalton threw another pick in the end zone. Uh, and I said, said last week, you know, from a yards per play standpoint, the Saints haven't been bad this year. They're just awful in the turnover department. They keep turning the ball over. If they could just avoid that, they'd have a chance. Because this Raider defense is not that good. Uh, can just, you know, looking back to Raiders since Derek Carr got there, 5-11-1 against the spread as a road favorite, including 0-6 against the spread the last six. And this wow. is where the teaser kind of got me going. Since Carr got there, and they've been a road favorite now, what's that, 17 times? They've never won any of those games by more than seven points. And their defense allows other teams to stay in the game, and the Saints can run the ball. And I kind of like it with Dalton in there because I feel you get more of Taysom Hill and just this change up in the offense that can run the ball. Uh, you know, both these teams, uh, you know, limit pressure on the quarterback. Neither team really puts pressure on the quarterback. I'd love to go over the total in this game. My numbers don't quite get me there, though. They kind of put this basically where the game total is at. Um, the only thing I would look at here is a teaser for everything lined up in a perfect storm. Uh, on the Saints getting it over seven and a half because I do believe they're going to be able to score some points in this game, uh, but no play for me. All right, fair enough. We'll move quickly to Chris Farley in just a second. Uh, again, uh, viewers saying that Andy Dalton, it looks like Andy Dalton will be the starter. That's what Dennis Allen, the coach, is saying. But how how quick is that hook? And what does it say for Jameis Winston? Is he not healthy enough to go? Is this maybe like a quiet benching where they use the injury, but even when he's healthy, they still want to try the veteran Dalton? And they may use Taysom Hill some more at quarterback because he threw it well in the Superdome against the Seahawks uh, in that game. Uh, Chris, any quick thoughts here, if no play? Yeah, I think if you like the over in this game, and that's really the only thing I could look at in it, uh, you know, then you want the Las Vegas Raiders to go up early again too because we saw the Saints – even if it's kind of garbage time, right, they can claw their way back into the game. They get more creative in those situations. I totally agree with almost everything Scott said. I think this is going to be a Taysom Hill game. Alvin Kamara is running well, and I just don't trust either defense. If if you look at all the metrics that matter about defenses, you know, points per game, yards per play, things like that, these are two uh, bottom third of the NFL defenses in almost every one of those categories. Um, the Saints are pretty good at stopping teams on third down conversions but the Raiders have been pretty good 
at, at completing third down conversions and really good at fourth down conversions. So I think these are just two offenses that can win and win often. And even better for the total, we finally saw Andy Dalton throw some picks last week. You know, whether it's Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton, uh, you know, they can stretch the field, but they can also throw picks. And you like turnovers and short fields for an over. So um, I, I, I might pull the trigger on, on an over. It's a little inflated at this point. It was at 49. Now it's getting up there. So it's a little beyond my numbers, too. But I think that's pretty much the only bet I can look at. All right. One other note, because I did look this up. The Saints have had some losing seasons, obviously a ton of success with Sean Payton and with Drew Brees. They have not been two and six guys since 2005, the Hurricane Katrina season. And they actually won the first game, displaced from Hurricane Katrina and then went on. Uh, to lose 10 of the next 11. They went 2-10 and 10 to start that year. They haven't been 2-6 and six since then in 17 years. So that's what's riding on it for New Orleans uh, in this matchup with the Raiders. No official play from the guys. Let's move on here on the BetUS Thursday show. We've got the Carolina Panthers. We've got the Atlanta Falcons. All right, I just saw that Carolina team with the guy you see on your screen, P.J. Walker, leading them with a couple of touchdown passes. They are getting four and a half now in Atlanta against Marcus Mariota and company. Uh, Mariota and the Falcons got toasted by Joe Burrow and Cincinnati last week. Our total is 41 in this one. And again, it looks like Walker will be the quarterback with the injuries to Baker Mayfield and to Sam Darnold, even though Sam Darnold is eligible to come off of the injured list. Why not play P.J. Walker? He threw it well enough against the Buccaneers. I saw that firsthand last week. Uh, Chris Farley, I'm going to come right back to you. Thoughts here, if no official play from you, on Carolina, Atlanta, and the NFC South? Yeah, a few things I, I really like on the Carolina side. A um, little, little gun shy in this one, too, because it's the Panthers and it's the Falcons, and you never know what you're going to get from the Falcons. Uh, but, you know, the Falcons, yeah, they, you know, they headed into last week 6-0 and against the spread. But remember, they were big-time underdogs in most of those games. They're finding themselves as the favorite this week. That's, that's a way different scenario, and they've played a lot of close games, right? But Carolina Panthers are pretty good against the run, only allow 4.1 yards per carry and that's good going up against a team like the Falcons who that's all they want to do is run the ball although you know certainly add some variance to it when you have a Marcus Mariota who can get to the edge etc and that's how the Falcons have been winning games uh, but one thing I really like is uh, Arthur Smith came out and said that the players believe in P.J. Walker and you know P.J. Walker kind of doing his best Geno Smith impression catching everybody by surprise very confident in his throws and he certainly adds an element to that offense that Baker Mayfield does not because he can scramble, he's more elusive, and he's a better athlete. And I think, I think the Panthers, when Baker's out there, for whatever reason, they become more pass-oriented. Now they've become more run-oriented with P.J. Walker. Did some good things in the run game last week, and we've seen that a few weeks from them, even without Christian McCaffrey last week. So that's a good thing for the Panthers. Um, I'm trying to present contrarian ideas in the Falcons for myself so that I don't pull the trigger on the Panthers. Uh, but I think the Panthers can keep this game close. It's a it's a divisional game. And, you know, at the end of the day, these are two very evenly matched teams. And I like the way that the Panthers are fighting, except for that game where they faced the, uh, the Rams. You know, that game was more about the Rams. The Rams covered that line. The Panthers have been fighting all season. So I would lean to the Panthers in this matchup. 
All right, Scott Kellen, I know you do not have an official play. And again, at the risk of this sounding like sour grapes, they won the game with the Buccaneers. I'm associated with the Buccaneer Radio Network. I still was not overly impressed with them. P.J. Walker's not very big. Atlanta may be able to do some things uh, pass rush-wise to disrupt him. They have Devontae Foreman, I just saw him last week, and Chuba Hubbard replacing McCaffrey. But how well are they going to do on the road against Atlanta? Scott, any thoughts from you on a matchup on the road now uh, here uh, for the Panthers trying to win two straight? Yeah, well, hey, Chris, may, maybe this will help you because this is kind of what's keeping me off Carolina as well. Um, teams that won as d- double-digit dogs last week, Carolina, that have a win percentage of greater than 250 are now 19 wins, 58 losses, and six pushes. So they're in a very, very bad spot this week from that standpoint. I show the value on Carolina as well, kind of just like you. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in pieces here where they could – they could actually stay in this game. Carolina, surprisingly, has been pretty good at limiting pressure, 12th best in the league. We talked about this last week. Atlanta, dead last in the league in applying pressure on quarterbacks. That showed up front and center against Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati and Joe Burrow had a field day against that. That could allow P.J. Walker to have a little bit of time here to kind of do what he needs to do. And Carolina's passing game has not been good, uh, even though, you know, maybe last week it you know was a little bit better. But they're – uh, 0.8 yards below average versus their opponents, but they're going to face a Falcons team that is 0.9 yards per pass worse than average in defending the pass. That might allow Carolina just to be an average team throwing the ball, and they do bring a better than average defense uh, to this game. And Chris already talked about they have some strength in, in being able to defend the run, which is what Atlanta wants to do. Uh, and, you know, just a bad defense lane points against a better than average offense uh, or better than average defense is, is usually not a great recipe for success. And there's a very small sample side, but size, but since Matt Rule got there, and obviously he's gone now, but uh, Carolina is 3-1 and one straight up, 4-0 and oh against the spread, with their only loss by one point when they played teams that ultimately ended up finishing the season below 500 as a road dog. And we don't know where Atlanta's going to finish up this year, but uh, they probably don't fit the profile of a team that's going to be above 500. So, this is just, again, in the realms of a, a team where Carolina can stay competitive and has stayed competitive on the road against teams that are similar to them as well. No play for me, but uh, some value on Carolina as well. And again, they showed some spunk last week to win that game. Give them credit. How much of it, though, was bad Buccaneers psychologically after the Evans drop that Scott was mentioning earlier in the show, blah, blah, blah. We'll find out with the Panthers in Mercedes-Benz Stadium playing Atlanta. No official play from the guys. Again, we remind you, we are live here on Thursdays, 1 Eastern time. Thank you for finding us. Even if you found us later, make sure you're here live at 1 Eastern time. If you want to get in the live chat, ask some questions. You see those questions coming across the bottom of the screen. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Make sure that you're with us. We go over every game on the BetUS NFL show uh, every week. We'll progress on through the Sunday slate. We're going to make our way to the Sunday night game and the Monday night game as well. Let us continue. The matchup of the Keystone State is the unbeaten Eagles, the only remaining team undefeated in the NFL. Look at that line, laying 10.5 off the bye week here against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers had some good in the win over the Buccaneers, were okay but lost the game to the Dolphins last week. Now they're getting 10.5 on the road. The number is 43 in this matchup. Again, no official play from the handicappers here. Scott Kellen, I'm going to go right back to you, though, as we alternate. Uh, Philly off the bye week. Uh, Philly acquiring Robert Quinn midweek as a pass rusher from the Bears. We already alluded to that. Any thoughts here on the matchup with the Steelers? Scott Kellen, if no play. Yeah, no play. Um, 
just, you know, looking at Philadelphia, very good team, and obviously very good chance. A, a, I love what they're doing, just trying to pick up pieces here. They have a rookie quarterback contract. They, they're they in a win-now mode. That's great. Tons of depth, the defensive line and the secondary, really built. And they're in a, a conference this year in the NFC that they've got every chance in the world to win this conference. Still think they're, uh, you know, behind Buffalo and Kansas City, but hey, you get to the Super Bowl, anything can happen, and they proved that uh, just a few years ago. But the interesting thing about Philadelphia, as good as this team is and has been, they are average on offense from a yards per play standpoint. They are definitely above average, well above average defensively. They're plus 12 in turnover ratio, so they've been living a little bit off that success. Uh, you know, does that continue or not? We'll see. That game against Dallas that they won, uh, you know, they big lead, gets close, they pull back away and cover. Uh, they only averaged 3.9 yards of play in that game. And a lot of the points that they they scored 26 points, 13 of those came on drives that started inside Dallas territory because of turnovers. And I think one time Dallas went for it and fourth down and, and didn't get there. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, they played a good defense and uh, did perform super well on offense. The problem here, though, might be Kenny Pickett, who has a five and a half percent interception rate, and he may continue to give the ball to the opponent. I like what I see in Pickett, uh, you know, but you can't keep turning the ball over. But Pittsburgh is just a scrappy team. You know, their only big loss this year was 38 to three to Buffalo. They haven't lost by more than six points in any other game. Yes, the Cleveland game, they lost by 12, but there's a fumble recovery in the end zone in the last play of the game that expanded that to 12. So they stay in games. Um, so I don't really want to lay it. Um, I, I, you know, Pittsburgh defense is right now about average. Um, I think this could be a lower scoring game. My, my numbers suggest about 41 points, not enough to play the under. Uh, certainly wouldn't lay it with Philadelphia, just knowing that I don't think Philadelphia is quite as good as the perception is of them right now. Um, and Pittsburgh's a scrappy team. No play, lean to the under, and probably lean to Pittsburgh a little bit as well. I can tell you in the live chat, the peeps are going on and on about the spread in this game and whether to lay those points. Chris Farley, I know you don't have an official play, but uh, Philadelphia has been rolling. Again, they're off the bye week. Any thoughts here real quick? Yeah, I just I like what I've seen from the Steelers' defense the past two weeks. That certainly makes them more competitive. Again, they got to get their run game going, and that's my real concern with this game. They can't get their run game going. That's going to be all Kenny Pickett trying to force the ball again, probably another interception or two again. And I like Kenny Pickett a lot too, but obviously, like Scott said, he has to learn from his mistakes. I mean, interestingly, the Eagles, even though they're 6-0, they have not been favored by more than 6.5 points this year. So this is a much bigger line for them to cover. Can they cover it? Of course, you know, just from a matchup perspective, they are loaded throughout their roster, and they just became more loaded with Robert Quinn. That being said, that's a huge line. It's the Battle of Pennsylvania. Maybe there's something behind that. I mean, we hear that all the time in the Battle of Ohio. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's the thing here for some extra motivation for the Steelers. Um, yeah, I, I want to bet on the Steelers. And I'm just glad that Scott said what he said about the Eagles because I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes. And I'm just like a, you know, like a like a mad Giants fan. But I'm not as high in the Eagles as everyone else. I think they're going to come back down to earth a little bit eventually. The, the, the issue is they have a really easy schedule, right? So they yep. could march right into the playoffs thinking they're the best. But I, I'll say this. One thing I didn't like from Nick Sirianni is after that Cowboys game, uh, just like Scott was saying, some some bad throws. Uh, some bad interceptions in that game. The Cowboys were in that game. And the Philadelphia Eagles didn't really impress me all that much in that game. 
Nick Sirianni goes into the tunnel afterwards. He's yelling, how about the Eagles? I don't know, man. Like, uh, glad you're fired up, but like, grow up. You know, you're like, you're supposed to be dad. <laughs> you're supposed to be the coach. I'm a little concerned that the Eagles are believing a little too much in themselves, and they could get caught in a spot like this against, you know, an inspired Steelers team. Interesting. Hey, I'll just I'll just add on this too. Um, I looked at this last week a little bit, and I'm not calling for it, but I think it's worth looking at. And maybe Chris would want to throw the Giants into this mix as well. But last week when I looked, I think Dallas was plus 400 in change to win the division. A little bit behind right now, obviously. But if we think Philly, and and no one is saying Philly's not a good team, maybe just not as good as the perception of this team. If we think there's a little bit of regression coming with Philly. And, and Dallas can get things going with Dak Prescott, it's not a bad price to take a chance on to win the division. Uh, you know, I'm not a – I love what the Giants are doing. We'll get to them later. But I don't – you know, from a yards per uh, play standpoint, they're a little bit behind. So, you know, Chris might even say, hey, take a shot on the Giants. But because I think there is a little bit of regression coming here from Philly. Interesting. On the divisional play there as well. And if you're wondering about the – uh, point that Chris made about the soft schedule. Here we go. You've got Pickett and the Steelers this week, Davis Mills and the Texans in Houston on Thursday night football, the short week. Then the Commanders with a quarterback situation in flux, maybe Taylor Heineke, maybe not. And then Sam Erlinger, the rookie, has taken over in Indianapolis. They play the Colts in Indy. That's the next four games. Pittsburgh, Houston, Commanders, who they've already beaten, and Colts all with quarterback situations up in the air. For Philadelphia, no play from the guys. We'll see what happens with the Eagles and the Steelers. We rock on. We mentioned the Miami Dolphins. They got a Sunday night win over Pittsburgh. They now will travel to Detroit, where the Lions, again, were in that game with Dallas for a lot of it coming off the bye week. They were certainly much more competitive, at least through three quarters with the Cowboys, than they were the the uh, two weeks before in New England, where they got shut out and blasted. Here... The, uh, the Lions are back at home. Miami laying three and a half. The total is 51 and a half for Tua and company. Again, we don't have an official play here. Scott Kellen, I'm going to come right back. We alternate, come right back to you. Give me a couple of uh, quick thoughts here, if no play on Finns at the Lions. Yeah, I'd love to play the over in this game, TJ. But again, the numbers kind of are just where they're at and don't quite support it. But both these teams, top 10 in the league in generating big pass plays. Detroit, third in the league. Miami, sixth best. So they're, they're getting big plays. Man, you watch that Miami team last week again. They're just so explosive. And you have to figure, this is a Miami team that is averaging 1.1 yards a pass more than their opponents are allowing. And now they're taking on a Detroit pass defense that's allowing one yard per pass more than their opponents are averaging. Miami should have a field day. Uh, being able to throw the ball in this game and pick up some points. And Detroit, you know, they, they, they've been floundering here uh, offensively a little bit. I will tell you this. There's, I have situations going both ways, but Detroit fits one situation that's been very good. Uh, dogs of three to ten points when they've come off uh, two weeks in a row of scoring 14 points or less uh, both of those weeks. They tend to perform very, very well uh, against the spread. So, and And the other thing is, we haven't seen Detroit home for a while. They had a bye week. They've been on the road the last two weeks. They haven't been home since October 5th. They played three games at home this year. First of all, they're 7-2 and two under Campbell's a home dog. Uh, and they've scored 29 or more in each of those games And uh, as a home dog. And they've scored 35, 36, and 45 points at home this year. So we may see this offense kind of in, you know, one of those was against Philly. 
Um, I forget who the other two games were without looking at it, but one of them was Seattle. One was yeah, Seattle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Seattle and, and Miami's defense, by the way, is below average and they just lost Brandon Jones, who I think led them in tackles last week. Uh, so he's out the safety. Um, so, you know, and, and a lot of what was happening with Detroit offensively, they've had a lot of injuries. We'll see if Swift plays. I think he practiced yesterday. I think there's a chance that he plays uh, and, and maybe they get some of these offensive guys back uh, to, to help that offense. But no play for me because I just can't quite get there from the number. But I, I have a sense this is going to be a high scoring game uh, from both these teams. And I'd love to play the over, but right now I'm not. All right, stays away. Chris Farley, thoughts from you real quick here on this matchup. Can Miami get another win here uh, for Mike McDaniel, the first-year coach? This one on the road. Yeah, this is one of those games where I had Lions plus three and a half on the spreadsheet. I took it off. I put it back on. I took it off. Uh, so ultimately, I don't have a play in this game, but I really want to play on the Lions in this spot. And now we're getting the hook, so we got three and a half on them. And I, I just agree with Scott. It's, it's a good spot. They're at home. They play, they've played better at home. And Dan Campbell kind of, I don't know if, he's, if, if people are saying he's on the hot seat, but I think he is a little bit. You know, coming off a two-week bye, it doesn't matter what, you know, ultimately that game should have looked like because they probably should have covered against the Cowboys, in my opinion. But, you know, they didn't, right? And they scored very little points. Um, and, you know, ultimately it kind of looks like a dominant game from the Cowboys. So you would expect more from Dan Campbell. What I like for the Lions offense in this is although the Dolphins can be feisty on defense at times, they really don't get to the quarterback very often. They're 24th in the NFL in sack percentage. So if Goff is comfortable, he can do well in the pocket. And if they get the pass game going, then they can get the run game going even better. So um, you know, this is just a much better spot for the Lions. Dolphins are going to be on the road next week too, so they're just away from home for a little while. Now, you know, sometimes when you know that, right, you just got to make more plans. You got to arrange things in your personal life. So kind of like the Lions at home, plus three and a half, just not going to pull the trigger on the Lions just yet because, man, have they looked like crap the past three weeks. <laughs> yeah, and Miami's had some shaky moments on the road as well. Obviously, the Thursday night loss to Cincinnati where Tua got hurt. Uh, also lost to the Jets after that without Tua in the concussion protocol. He is back. We'll see what happens against Detroit. No official play from the guys as we continue on this Thursday. Let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings. They have looked really good for a lot of this season. Vikings getting set to take on the Arizona Cardinals in this matchup. Um, and we get, a we get a chance to see what Arizona can do on the road, although they have struggled as of late. Uh, we take a look at uh, the Vikings laying three and a half, a total of 49. Chris Farley, I'm right back to you for an official play in this one. What do you have? I, not I, sure I, if we're I, hearing I, Chris or not. I see him, but I'm, it's a live show, folks. Yeah, we'll see can if you hear me now? Gets better. Now we're back. Now we're back. Okay. He was okay. brilliant, and now we all want to hear the brilliance again. Take two. <laughs> what do you like? Take two. Take two. Yeah, I do I do have a play in the Arizona Cardinals in this one, plus three and a half. I liked what I saw from the Cardinals, at least on offense last week, and a lot of those points that the Saints put up, I mean, that was pretty much two quarters of garbage time offense you know for the Saints because they went way behind early in that game DeAndre Hopkins does add an element for, for the Cardinals where at least he has to demand attention right and that creates more space in an offense that's a good thing for Kyler Murray who let's face it he's not the tallest quarterback in the world so you know if you create more space 
in the field, especially in the middle of the field. That's a good thing for him to be able to see the field better. And we saw those results. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings defense is not good. The Minnesota Vikings as a whole team are not that good. Their next, their last game against the Dolphins, they got almost doubled in total yards. Still ended up winning and covering that game. Not even sure how they did that. But I think eventually regression catches up with the Vikings as well. I think we could see a lot of points in this one. But I just like the Cardinals coming off of a little bit of momentum here. You know, this is still a team that started off, what, 7-0 and last year? So they can go on streaks. And I think if they start believing in themselves, you know, coming off of a long week, right, 10 days, this is a good setup for the Cardinals as well. I think they could straight up win this game. And anytime I think that, I'm inclined to take the dog, especially if we get it at three and a half. He said it once, and then he said it again, that he's liking the Arizona Cardinals, although the name is spelled F-A-R-L-E-Y, saying the Vikings aren't good while they're five and one. <laughs> it's, one th- it's one thing to say that a one and five team is not good. They're five and one. I'm no Viking guy. I'm just pointing this out. Scott Kellen, any thoughts, if no official play for you here on Minnesota at home with Arizona? Man, it's almost like Chris read my notes here. I'll go back to the uh, Pythagorean theorem because it does a, just a good job of kind of telling you where a team should be. A, the Vikings are 3-0 and in one-score games. I use seven points or less. You could use eight, but seven-point uh, seven point game. So they've been fortunate. Uh, that's not saying good or bad, but they've been fortunate, and that usually regresses to the mean at some point in time. May not be this year. Um, but the other thing that Chris mentioned is, yeah, they're below average offensively. They're below average defensively. They're actually negative uh, 0.5 yards per play when you combine their offense and defense versus the opponents they played. Now, Arizona is negative uh, 0.6 yards per play offensively and defensively. But I think Arizona is potentially on an uptick here because Hopkins is back and for all the reasons Chris said. They were still a little bit below average when you look at what they gained last year, last week uh, versus what the Saints had allowed up to that point in the season but it was marked improvement over what they had been earlier in the year. And I would guess that, that would just continue to get a little bit better as well. So, uh, and Arizona, for whatever it's worth, Kingsbury, 8-0 now against the spread as a road dog since the beginning of last year. Uh, so this is a role that they have thrived in. My player rating numbers kind of favor the Vikings here a little bit. So I'm not on the game, but I'm certainly not playing the Vikings for all the reasons Chris said. The stats just do not support Minnesota. The record may say they're 5-1. and one, but the stats definitely do not say they're five and one. Uh, and so no play for me. And I can see exactly where, where Chris is coming from in his play. All right. We will lock Chris Farley in, however, on the birds from the Valley of the Sun. He says, give me the three and a half with them on the road. And again, they had a little bit of an extended break after playing the Thursday night game and having last weekend off. We'll see what happens in that matchup. Again, we're about halfway home. We're going to go over every game run through them here, get the insight, get the analysis. Thursdays, we're live at 1 Eastern time. We see the live audience growing and growing, guys, since the show began. Make sure you're here at 1 Eastern time. Whenever you're finding the show, you see it right there on the screen. You can get in the live chat. Somebody was asking, give me a quick answer, uh, Chris Farley, about Hopkins on the over on the individual prop of receptions. Do you have a quick answer on that, on DeAndre Hopkins against Minnesota? Oh, I mean, he he should absolutely uh, destroy that. Where is it at? Right now? It is. It is. Uh, I'm not sure if it's at four and a half or five. What it was, but let's just say it's somewhere right around there. He's gonna. He's probably gonna get over ten targets a game. So you're you're going to be in a good place if you take the over there. You know, variance comes for everybody, but there's there's a higher probability that he gets it. 
And the Vikings, again, have given up some pass yards. There's no doubt. So, see, we get a little interaction here on the show. Let's move on. Very interesting matchup for a lot of reasons will take place in the Meadowlands with the Patriots and the Jets. The Patriots off of that uh, woeful Monday night where they got worse as the game went on. They benched Mac Jones. They put in the rookie Bailey Zappi with the crowd chanting his name, Zappi, Zappi. Then he throws two interceptions, and then they're chanting, Jones, Jones, come back in the game. Uh, so it turned out to be a bad night against the Bears. Meanwhile, the Jets have been playing well, winning in Green Bay, winning in Denver. They did lose Brees Hall, the running back, for the season with a knee injury. So they are an underdog at home still. Even with New England on a stink bomb performance Monday night, they're still the road favorite here. The total is 40 and a half in this one. Chris, I'm back to you for the official play uh, here. What do you have on this AFC East matchup? Yeah, a few things I really like in support of the New England Patriots. First of all, we're getting under a field goal. It was one and a half. I'll still take two and a half. Uh, and now we have Bill Belichick coming off a loss. I'm not going to panic about that loss against the Bears because Bill Belichick has struggled against against uh, scrambling quarterbacks in the past, right? More athletic quarterbacks. We saw uh, the Patriots struggle against Lamar Jackson and similar types in the past. So, you know, that's just kind of the Bill Belichick story. That's not going to be the case against the New York Jets. I would argue that Brees Hall being out for the Jets is a pretty big deal. Why? Because they are relying on that run game. Uh, he, he had an explosiveness to him where, you know, he even got a long run in Denver against a really good defense, right? But now that he's out, I think that offense is going to have to turn more towards Zach Wilson. And that's not a good thing for the Jets offense. They've been limiting the amount of throws that he makes. You know, he gets a lot of max protection. But this is going to be a circumstance. Even at home, you know, the Patriots have owned the Jets now for a long time. I think this sets up really well for the Patriots defense to kind of take over here against a, Zach, a more Zach Wilson-led offense. Uh, and on the other side, Mac Jones, right? They announced he's going to be the starter. People forget. I know Mac Jones doesn't have a lot of, you know, athletic skill sets that jump off the screen. But last year, he was easily the best quarterback in that draft. Uh, you know, he, he, he plays well. He prepares really well. I like that they announced that he was a starter earlier in the week so that he knows he's going to be the starter. Confidence in him leading up to this game. So, you know, this is one of those games. Jets defense has been really good against the run. So that's one worry for the Patriots. But as long as they can get their run game going a little bit, this could be a Mac Jones game, dare I say it, because we really haven't seen it this year. But he looked he looked pretty mad when he was benched last week, too. So. I expect him to be fiery. I expect Bill to be fiery. And, I, and trust me, they're not afraid of Zach Wilson, and they're certainly not afraid of the Jets. So uh, I'm taking the Patriots to win and cover. Interesting. That Was it as much his poor play as it may be partially his health after the high ankle sprain? He came back after only a couple of games. Whatever it was, Scott Kellen, they went to Zappi, as I mentioned, and Zappi threw a couple of touchdowns, but then he threw a couple of interceptions. I think there's a real concern with him looking Mac Jones over his shoulder, that if he makes a mistake in this game, are they going to yank him again? And Zappi maybe becomes the quarterback, at least for the short term, if that's the case. All right, Scott, no official play from you, but a quick thought here on Pats at the Jets. Yeah, and uh, Scott just uh, asked my number on the total here. I think it's about 38. Let me just pull it up real quick. Uh, yeah, I've got a little about 38 and a half, give or take. Uh, and, I, and I'll kind of add to what Chris said. By the way, uh, when Zappy was in there doing that, the best text I got during that game last week was someone text me and said Zappy hour. So, uh, you know, that I thought that that was pretty. They have uh, been saying that, yes, yeah, Zappy hour. Good for that. So, uh, but you know, the problem with Mac Jones really is he's been throwing interceptions this year, and that 
that just has to stop. I mean, uh, I like where Chris is with this bet. I, I favor the, uh, the Patriots by about 2.7, almost three points. But if he continues to turn the ball over, that will be problematic. Look, going into this game, after what New England faced last week with Justin Fields, you know, regardless of who they're facing here, this just has to seem just mind-wise like a much easier assignment. Yeah, Zach Wilson can move around a little bit, but he's not going to be anything like Justin Fields. And this is just going to be so much, dare I say, easier for them to, to fend this, you know, because we know what can happen then. But let's face it, the Jets have, you know, kudos for them for just getting their number and winning these games this year. And there's something to be said for winning games. But this offense is still well below average. They average, uh, just pulling it up here, uh, 5.1 yards a play against teams giving up 5.4 yards a play. But passing the ball, 5.4 yards a pass, and they played teams that, on average, give up 6.1 yards a pass. So they're well below average throwing the ball. And New England's averaging 7.2 yards a pass against teams giving up 6.6 yards a pass. So they're above average throwing the ball. Yes, just defense is very good. The other points, Brees Hall out, Vera Tucker, probably their best offensive lineman. Uh, you know, maybe Dwayne Brown now that he's come back. But they've lost a lot on the offensive line. And Vera Tucker now out. And I don't know that Corey Davis is going to play at the receiver position as well. Elijah Moore, I think, is going to come back. They're probably going to have him play. But so the Jets got some injuries on offense here that could impact them as well. I lean to the Patriots. If the Patriots would become a dog, they would qualify in a system uh, that basically plays on teams that lost as big favorites. That's uh, 102 wins, 42 losses, and six and six ties. I don't think this line's going back to a pick 'em or a dog. Uh, but I would certainly get involved with New England at that point if, if it did. Interesting. All right. Again, they also lost Beckton, the big offensive lineman, earlier in the year, too. They've had some injuries for the Jets. They are at home. We shall see. Um, again, in this one, the official play is going to go to Chris Farley. He says, lay those points with the New England Patriots on the road. We did see, I saw a viewer asking uh, about the Belichick stats. Is he mediocre without Tom Brady? I have a stat. Uh, Bill Belichick in his days in Cleveland and in all of his games in New England without Tom Brady. Remember, he was hurt in the 2008 season in the first week. So you count all the games after that. You count now these three years, two and a half years uh, without him. Belichick, 74 and 82 as a coach without Tom Brady, 20 and 20 since the beginning of the season two years ago without Tom Brady for what it's worth as uh, as they get ready to play in this matchup against the New York Jets. All right, let's move on. We go to the AFC South. Titans got a win over the Indianapolis Colts last week. They will now go on the road to play the Houston Texans. They are the road favorite laying two and a half. The total is 40 and a half. Scott Kellen, I'm right back to you. I know we don't have an official play uh, on this game, but give me a thought on Texans hosting Titans real quick. Yeah, nothing for me on this, TJ. Numbers kind of line up where it's at, but I will say this. Houston, fifth best in the league in generating big pass plays. Tennessee, 26th in the league in giving up big pass plays. So maybe Houston gets some stuff uh, you know, because of that. Tennessee's kind of the middle of the road in generating big pass plays, but Houston last in the league in giving up big pass plays. So possibly Tennessee can do something here. We got to we got to see if Tannehill plays. If he doesn't play, all bets are off. Even if he does play, how effective is he going to be? And they're probably going to want to run the ball with Derrick Henry. These two teams have played six straight games here in Houston over the total with a minimum of 47 points. It's a, it's a lower ski scoring league right now. Total's 40. That's still a pretty low total. You know, the average points right now are about 42, 42 and a half, 43, whatever it is. Uh, so, but these teams have combined and scored a lot of points. 
including 53 here last year in the last day of the season. Texans 5-1 against the spread the last six here against Houston. I don't think it's a great matchup for Houston. My never slightly favor Houston in this game, but it's just really tough for me to take Houston um, with the defense that they have. Although I do think Tennessee has vastly overachieved this year. I think there is some regression coming with them as well, uh, but no play for me in this game. Tannehill with an ankle injury, didn't practice Wednesday, limited in practice uh, for Thursday. Question mark there, Chris Farley, a thought from you if no official play. Yeah, no official play here, but you know, if you like the Titans, you like them because they do a few things really well. They get off to a lead usually in the first half. They almost always score early. Uh, you know, they have big sacks and big game moments. And obviously Derrick Henry, right? They should be able to run the ball in the Houston Texans. Teams are averaging nearly 32 rush attempts against the Texans because they know they can't stop it. And it's true. The Texans are one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL. Um, Tennessee is a lot like the Giants in that sense. They're just really well coached, but nothing really is that explosive about their offense or, you know, really that talented. But I, I lean to the Texans here, and I think this could be an upset alert. If you look in the past at these matchups, they almost always play the Titans really well. A lot of overtime games, a lot of close games. And the thing about the Texans is they usually hang around for three quarters. And then if there's a team that's way better than them, you know, they pull away late, right? That's what we saw with the Raiders last week. Although I could argue that the Texans probably should have covered that game too because Davis Mills was going down the field, threw a pick, and that one was over. Uh, but if the Texans can hang around for three quarters, I think they could win this game. Nothing about the Titans is anything that really stands out, you know, as, as you know, flexing on the Houston Texans in this spot. Davis Mills still has yet to have that game where, you know, he can have a much better, like over 300-yard passing game. And maybe this is it to Scott's point because Tennessee allows those big plays. Um, sneaky, sneaky spot here for the Texans. And I think they make a really good teaser lay. Scott mentioned earlier in the show, maybe teasing up the Broncos. Uh, this would probably be the best pairing for that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, right. it's, uh, just just one uh, point, TJ. I was, thanks for saying that, Chris. I was just going to add that. And I was just looking here. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, very good defensive tackle for him, did not practice yesterday. So that bears watching because that, that will help uh, our case on Houston or a teaser as well. If he doesn't go, very good player for them as well. All right. Again, no official play from the guys here. Tennessee has basically run roughshod over this division. Will it continue in Houston coming for Sunday? We will find out uh, in that matchup. One interesting note, Houston will host the first two games of the World Series on Friday night and Saturday night. The Texans will play a home game with Tennessee. The World Series will then move to Philadelphia uh, to play on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Texans will host the Eagles on Thursday. So you're going to get your fill of Philly against Houston is what I'm telling you, especially <laughs> next week uh, for what it's worth. It's just a schedule quirk and wow, coincidence on how it worked out that the Eagles are in Houston on Thursday night on the short week after the Phillies are playing the Astros all week in the World Series. Let's see what happens on that. No official play, though, from the guys on Tennessee Titans and Houston Texans. Let's move on to a game that at the beginning of the year, I don't think we would be saying this. One of the top games in week eight is the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks. Farley, I said it. Six and one New York against a, uh, a Seahawks team that is also above 500 at uh, four and three at this stage. Seahawks laying three. The total is 44 and a half uh, in this one. 
And what do we think about this matchup? Both handicappers are on this game. Scott Kellen, you go first. I know Farley's ready to launch, but you go first, Scott Kellen. What do you like and why? Yeah, I'm going under the total here, uh, under 44 and a half. I played it 45 and a half. I would play it down to 44. Um, I'll give you a little bit more than just it's based on my numbers, which support the under. But I will say this. My numbers uh, have been pretty good with Seattle this year as far as totals. Um, uh, When they've gone under, like against Arizona, they leaned under. Um, Last week, they kind of had it where it's at. So I kind of trust my numbers with with this Seattle lineup. Um, Could be some wind and rain in this game. Supposed to be some rain. Winds 50 miles an hour. Both both these teams like to run the ball. Uh, DJ Metcalf, I I have a very good feeling he is not going to play in this game. Giants lose two offensive linemen last week. Now, they weren't having great years, Evan Neal uh, in the guard. Uh, But still, when you start to lose players, it does start to impact your depth a little bit here. Um, Giants, they could get some big plays in this game because Seattle does get big plays up. But the Giants are dead last in the league and getting big plays. They average 1.1 yard, uh, 1.1 big pass plays of 20 yards or more a game. So they just do not get the ball down the field. They rush the ball. Both these teams rush the ball very well. And neither team really stops to rush very well. I, and, and both these teams are in the bottom half of the league in terms of pace of play. Uh, so I like the under here. My numbers support it. I think there'll be a lot of running in this game. And the one other thing I'll add here, um, Seattle has played a couple games at home this this year against below average offenses, which I think the Giants are. I've seen some people based on their metrics think they're a little bit better than that. They certainly run the ball well. Um, but they've allowed, I, I believe, nine points against Arizona, 19 or 16, whatever it was, to Denver. The one thing I've noticed in these Seattle games, I mean, it's we've, we've known this forever, but you just see this defense get a half step off the ball just because of this crowd noise. And it does seem this year to have disrupted uh, what these offenses are doing. And we, we've always known about the 12th man, but I've kind of seen it. And I, and I do think it has impacted uh, these teams a little bit as well. And the Seattle secondary uh, and some of these younger players just seem to be getting a little bit better. They're a below average defense, as is the Giants based on my metrics. But I think the running, a little bit of weather, losing Metcalf, maybe this offensive line's injuries uh, to the Giants impacts him a little bit. Um, the one thing I will say just on the side of the game, I mentioned this last week, Daniel Jones now since 2019, 8-0 against the spread when listed as a road dog of six or less. So when they're playing you know, against uh, what I would say similar competition, Giants are taking care of business on the road. No playing the side, playing the under. Okay, interesting. He will go officially on the under in this matchup. We did see the viewer point out Kadarius Toney traded by the Giants to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Interesting for the Chiefs who have the off week here on how it might bolster them. All right, Chris Farley, the Giants at six and one. What do you like in this matchup in Seattle and why? Yeah, before I started uh, thinking about this game, I was like, yeah, Giants are five and one. I mean, I can't believe they're six and one. It's like, uh, I can't even keep track of their record at this point because it's so unbelievable. But scary, I'm going to go head to head with Scott here. Scott, I think this is the first time all year we did this. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not looking forward to this. But, but uh, you know, one thing that Seattle does really well uh, is they get started uh, scoring in the first half. They're one of the highest scoring first half teams in the NFL, 16 points per game. We know the Giants are a second-half team, and if things were rated just by the second half, the Giants, you couldn't argue against the fact that the Giants are an elite NFL team. But unfortunately, they play in the first half as well, and they just don't perform as well. They don't score as many points. They don't make as many big plays on defense either. But 
This is one of those matchups. You know, I'm hearing a lot of those fantasy guys saying this is a dream matchup for Saquon Barkley. I think that's true. I think he could have a lot of success on the ground. Seattle hasn't been too gifted in that area. But talk about not gifted. The New York Giants allow 5.7 yards per rush, and they are not good against running teams. And Kenneth Walker uh, II looks, looks awesome. I mean, he looks explosive. You know, sometimes you see these young running backs come into the league, and it's like, you know, they're just at a different level because their bodies haven't been beaten up as much. Uh, you know, so Kenneth Walker is looking great. He, he's explosive. I think he could take advantage of the Giants' defense and its liabilities. And I just, I kind of trust, I, I hear what Scott's saying about the wind and the rain. Uh, that's not a good thing for overs in general. Yeah, but last week in the Giants game, they should have scored more points. I thought that was crazy that it went under. So the Giants offense is moving the ball, even if it's one small play at a time. And the Seattle Seahawks can get those big explosive plays from their offense. Um, I think this game is just going to look a lot like the Falcons in the Seahawks game. We saw what happened there. Two running teams that are very comfortable with their style of play and they drove up the points. Um, I will say on the side, this is that game where I think the Giants could be, uh, this could be a loss and, and a game that they don't cover. Uh, just from a fan perspective, only because they've been benefiting from hanging in these games. But with the 12th man, uh, the way Seattle's playing, especially in the first half, if the Seahawks can gain some margin, it's going to be really tough for the Giants with the way that their offense is built to come back. So, I, you know, to hedge this bet, maybe I'll take the Seahawks minus three because I think that favors the under a little bit. But I still like the over 44 and a half. Okay, so the cappers disagree here on the point total. Brother Farley, did you know the last time the Giants were seven and one? You have a clue on that? Uh, Barack, Oba Bar Barack Obama was not the president yet. It was 2008. He hadn't been elected yet. When they were seven and one, they went 11 and one in 2008 eventually bowed out to the Eagles in the playoffs, but they is were 11-1 that, 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 that Plastico shot himself? I think that was That might have been. might yeah. have been, but that they was, got off to a great start then. This, that was this the best Giants, Giants team they had. Well, and this Giants team has a chance to match the 7-1 and one start if they can find a way to beat Seattle. Again, the guys are officially on opposite sides of the total. We lock them in. Scott's on the under. Chris is on the over for the matchup in Seattle. A lot of the country will see that game as the late game in the 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific window. We'll see what happens in that one. I would love to lie to you on the BetUS NFL show and say there's the same magnitude and the same interest in the commanders against the Indianapolis Colts. I'd be lying. Nonetheless, they will play in Indianapolis. And look on the right. That is the fresh face of Sam Ellinger, the quarterback from Texas, who's taken over for Matt Ryan. And we got another backup in Taylor Heineke in for Carson Wentz with the broken finger. Colts laying three with uh, their second-year quarterback at the helm. Uh, the total is 39-and-a-half in this one. There is uh, not going to be an official play in this one. Scott Kellen, I'm going to come right back to you, though, here to go first in this instance. Uh, surprised. Are you surprised at Matt Ryan? They've won some games. I know he's got a shoulder problem, but they have said this is not so much the injury. We're going with Ellinger the rest of the year. Uh, what are your thoughts here if no official play? Well, I think I think part of this decision, I was reading on profootballtalk.com, uh, there's a lot of money guaranteed to Matt Ryan if he gets hurt. And I think they obviously realize he just doesn't have it anymore. He's turning the ball way over way too much. He can't get out of the pocket. He's making mistakes. We're going nowhere with Matt Ryan. And if we keep him in there and he gets hurt, I forget the number, but it, it could have been upwards of $20 million more 
whatever the crazy number was that they'd have to pay him. So I think it's it's clearly come from ownerships just said, get him off the field uh, and let's just go with, with Sam Ellinger. So what are they going to get there? I can't believe he can turn the ball over any more than Matt Ryan was turning it over, quite frankly. Uh, I don't know how good he's going to be. I have no idea. But he does have some athleticism that he can at least get out of the way a little bit, which Ryan could not do. These two teams are kind of, you know, mere images of each other. Neither team protects the quarterback very well. They both put pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Indy, Washington is minus five in net turnovers. India is minus seven in net turnovers. They both have gone to a mobile quarterback within the last two weeks to try to just just put some energy into the offense. Um, my numbers actually, and by the way, Shaquille Leonard may come back in this game. He was actually not on the injury report last yesterday, which I think is the first time all year. I've been extremely disappointed with him kind of practicing, not practicing every week, and then never plays. He doesn't show up on the injury report. Maybe he's actually going to play. I think he played a little bit in that Kansas City game. I like Indy's defense a lot better than I like Washington's defense. Um, and my numbers actually support Washington here a little bit. Not enough to make a play, and there's just too much question mark around the quarterback position for Indy. But I would lean towards Indy in this game and lean towards the under a little bit as well. All right, interesting. Again, Heineke was really good at home with Green Bay. He has been good in spots, in like a sample size. Now it's on the road at Indianapolis. Uh, Chris Farley, a thought real quick on this one. I know you don't have an official play here with the Colts going to the young quarterback. Yeah, my thought is uh, save your money. You know, nobody knows how Sam Ellinger is going to play. It could be really good. It could be really bad. I do like the way the commanders played last week. You know, it's, it's interesting. Quarterback's obviously the most important player on the field. And the Washington Commanders took on the personality immediately of Taylor Heineke. And he, he does more for that offense, if you ask me, because they don't expect him to do as much. He can scramble, right? He can run around a little bit. And they opened up their run game, too. We saw 168 yards uh, from the Washington run game last week against the Packers, which is pretty impressive. I mean, again, the Packers on paper are an elite defense, although they're not amounting to it so far this year. But if the commanders can keep that up, they're going to have better performances. But I do like the fact that the Colts might have a scrambling quarterback, which could open up a lot of things for their offense. So a lot of unknowns here. This game is lined right. You got to give Indy credit off of a divisional loss coming back home. I'd rather sit back and watch. Okay, so that is the matchup with the Washington Commanders and the Indianapolis Colts. Somebody, and the Colts nearly played one of these, a tie. Somebody's got to get a win. We'll see if somebody gets a win in this one. And again, you got to give Matt Ryan some credit. They did win a couple of games, including beating Kansas City, and they may have to go back to him at some point, depending on what happens. Who knows? Uh, we'll find out. For now, Indy is saying they're going with Ellinger. And this comes a week after Jim Ursay, the owner, put on social media his belief in Matt Ryan. Example number 297, kids, of a vote of confidence for the quarterback or the coach or manager is usually a kiss of death. Stand by. Uh, all right, so there you go on that one. Let's move on, shall we, on the Bet US NFL show. Let's go to a Western rematch in the NFC West that saw the 49ers defeat the Rams earlier this year on Monday Night Football. They're already playing again here in late October, this time in Los Angeles. San Francisco, a one-point short favorite with a total of 43 in this matchup. All right, let's get a, uh, a thought here first from Scott Kellen. Scott, you're going to have the official play on this rematch between the Niners and the Rams. 
Yeah, I'm going over 43 points in this game, uh, TJ. Uh, I, I hate to kind of do this kind of like the Steeler-Dolphin game last week, but it's really just supportive of my numbers. But I do think I think there's too much talent on this San Francisco team. Now, there's some injury concerns both at offense and defense for San Francisco. Debo Samuel uh, limited or didn't practice yesterday with a hamstring. But you got uh, three guys on the defensive side of the ball for San Francisco that did not practice yesterday. I'd love to see him not play for the purpose of, the, of, of this total for me. But uh, I've just got this, I've got this game lined a little bit higher from a total standpoint. I think there's too much talent on this 49er team. They've really kind of controlled the Rams here uh, the last five years. They're four and one straight up and against the spread um, uh, uh, in terms of covering against the Rams uh, over the last five years. And I think from the line of scrimmage, they're the better team here as well. But Certainly with all these injury question marks, I, I I don't know if I can play San Francisco in this game, but I like the game over the total. The one worry here, obviously, is the Rams and their offense. Their offensive line's been all banged up. They're going to get their center back, uh, which should help them a little bit here offensively as well. And I just got to hope and pray that, uh, you know, they can score enough points here uh, to help me get to the, to the total that my numbers are suggesting. Again, um, just, you know, from my player rating standpoint, they're suggesting – the Rams offense should ultimately be a little bit better than it has been. We're, we're going to see on that, obviously, if, if that happens or not. Last week's game against Kansas City, the, the one thing, you know, the takeaway there is offense is much more predictable than defense, I think. And Kansas City, you know, San Francisco came into that game with an outstanding defense. And Kansas City came into that game, obviously, with an outstanding offense. And we saw that kind of play out. The offenses, when you have good offenses, it's much more predictable uh, just something to kind of keep in mind going forward here. But I'm going over the total more than anything here, really just based on where my numbers are placed in this game. Well, again, for San Francisco, they've got Christian McCaffrey with a full week of practice. He did play a little bit against Kansas City. Chris Farley, any thoughts from you, even if you don't have an official play here on this matchup with the Rams? Yeah, I, I really liked the San Francisco 49ers last week, and that did not work out, obviously. Um, just that was a really good spot for them coming off a sleepy game, going back home. And usually those are the games they play really well in. But that Kansas City offense, especially when they're coming off of a loss, look out. They're really tough to stop. Uh, the Rams offense, not quite the same, right? But one thing I'm noticing about the 49ers and how they game plan with Jimmy Garoppolo on offense is when they're expecting a blitz, you know, a good a team that has or can offer good pressure, they take the helm away from Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit which results in a more effective offense. I'm not sure why they don't do that on a regular basis, but you know Jimmy Garoppolo, when he has to play from behind, when there's more pressure on him, he's not the best quarterback in the NFL. And we saw that last week. They just could not catch up to the Chiefs. I don't know if they're going to be in that situation this week because historically Shanahan just plays the Rams so well. And I think it's because he anticipates the pass rush. They have a lot of quick plays, a lot of misdirection plays. We'll see what he unveils in this game. But I was really hoping the 49ers would win last week so then it could set up for them to be the, a, big, a bigger favorite in this game. And it's a great spot for the Rams, obviously, with revenge coming off a bye. But Sean McVay, for as sharp as he is, not very good off a bye, actually. I don't have the record right here with me, but it's about even or um, uh, losing. So it's, it's interesting because you would expect a coach like that to be really buttoned up after a bye week. That's not always the case. Would rather sit back and watch this one, too. But I have a slight lean on the 49ers because all they do is own the Rams. Hey, TJ, right. one, one other point to make here um, in this division. Um, 
San Francisco, all, all teams in this division right now are, are plus money to win the division. Last time I looked a day or two ago, San Francisco's plus 120, plus 125. I think they're an excellent bet uh, at plus money to win this division. I think, hands down, they are the best team in this division, at least on paper. Um, so it's it's worthwhile to take a look at that if you like that as well. And in the Kyle Shanahan head-to-head with Sean McVay, that's another feather there in the cap. He's owned him for whatever reason in the head-to-head matchups. I know the Rams won the NFC title game, but the 49ers won the huge game at the end of the regular season last year to uh, keep the uh, to keep the Rams from having home field advantage throughout the playoffs. It ended up working out. They got home field advantage, but 49ers won earlier this year as well. And by the way, I looked it up. We just want to make sure on the news and the information. McVay, I just looked real quick, is 4-2, and two, if my number is correct here, off the bye week for whatever it's worth. They may have lost last year, uh, Chris, and maybe that's what you remember. But he's been okay or pretty good off the bye week. We'll see if they're any good uh, here in this matchup with San Francisco. The official play does belong to Scott Kellen, and he is on the over on the total. All right, we've been here a while. We remind you again, we're live at 1 Eastern time. You get in-depth on every game, even if there's not an official play. We're here once a week on the NFL show, and we're finishing strong with two games to go. And by the way, I'm not done talking on BetUS TV. I will be live at Raymond James Stadium for the Buccaneers Thursday night game with the Ravens right here on this channel as part of a three-dog Thursday BetUS NFL combo. I'll hang out for a little while with you coming up, what, in about two and a half hours from now. You see it right there on the screen will be live from Raymond James Stadium before Buccaneers Ravens for a little bit, taking some live questions, etc. Talking a little three dog Thursday and underdogs, talking a little NFL, etc. That's later on today. Okay, two games remain. One of those is the Sunday night game. Did you know that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are a 12 hello point underdog in Buffalo, where the Bills have been really good so far this season? That says more about the Packers right now and their struggles. Total is 47 and a half. Chris Farley, I'm going to come back to you first here. I know you don't have an official play uh, on this matchup, but, man, that's a whopping number for Aaron Rodgers getting 12 points with the Packers. I I know they've struggled for a couple of weeks, uh, losing in Washington last week. What about it, Chris, if no official play? Somehow the Bills have only played two games at home, but they've outscored their opponents 79 to 10. And, uh, you know, we talk about those big double-digit favorites and how they're not doing well. The Bills are the team that they are doing well in those situations. And this is just really, really tough for me because I'm waiting and waiting on the Packers to look better. That being said, the Packers have been in some sleepy spots. Like, it's not a spot to circle when you're facing the Commanders who just haven't looked very good. This is a spot to circle. And Aaron Rodgers has been talking about it all week as a way to motivate his players. I really want to take the Packers here. It's 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 his you know Aaron Rodgers' first double-digit underdog line in his career. Um, at the same time, the Bills, who have had one of the hardest schedules in the NFL, I think maybe the hardest so far, there with the Chiefs, uh, and they're winning and they're winning by margin. And when they're at home, you know that crowd is electric. Lord knows they're going to be drinking and getting ready for this game all day. It's a night game. It's going to be a crazy environment. They're going to start Friday, Farley. What are you talking absolutely. about? They're not just absolutely. waiting until Sunday. It's, it's just, I mean, them and the, and, and the Seahawks, they have significant home field advantage. And it's just a really tough game for the Packers to start looking better. So, you know, a lot of intangibles here. I'm not going to talk metrics because we all know so far the Green Bay Packers are vastly underperforming and the Bills have been near perfect. Um, so it's, you know, tough to fade the bills in this spot here too. 
would not be surprised at all if they covered this line. Scott, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about your Packers. Let's get to it. Uh, Brother Kellen, uh, 12 point. Under, has Aaron Rodgers been a 12 point underdog? I would love to know that answer. I don't know that answer. I'm asking. No. So uh, thoughts here? Yeah, well, he's never been a double digit underdog. So uh, wow. this, this, this is it right now. And, you know, kind of adding on to Chris's point, since 2019, the Bills, 7 2 and 2 against the spread, laying seven or more points. They've won 10 of those 11 games by 10 points or more allowing 15 or less in eight of the 11 games. So uh, they're, they're just, they're bullies, right? When it comes to this point, uh, they're just destroying these teams. Now, you could argue maybe they've never played up a, a team of the caliber of the Packers, possibly, I guess. But you know what? The line is telling you right now where the Packers are. And my God, like, I don't know how the Packers, it, the, the strange thing about the Packers are they're in the top 10 in the league in generating big pass plays, even though, they don't seem like they get any big plays in their offense. And last week, there was two balls that they threw very close to the line of scrimmage that were dropped. One was on the fourth and one or whatever it was near the end of the game. And both those plays, Sammy Watkins was, was running wide open down the side of the field. Rodgers didn't see him. Rodgers alluded to guys need to be better prepared and not make mistakes. And I think on one of those plays, Watkins was supposed to maybe chip a, chip a defender or something. And he didn't. And, and then next thing you know, he's running free. You know, who knows, right? They're, they've they made a lot of mistakes. Rashawn Gary, concussion last week. You know, unfortunately, that's one of those things that the Packers don't control if he plays or not. He obviously is a big piece of that team as well uh, on the defensive line. It's just tough. Green Bay is not very good throwing the ball. Buffalo has been fantastic defending the pass, and Buffalo has been great throwing the ball. Josh Allen, uh it's a lot of points, and you know my numbers slightly support Green Bay a little bit in this game, but I just don't know how Green Bay is going to generate any offense. I, you know, I've, I've watched this team for the last three weeks, and and I know Chris said, hey, maybe you don't get fired up for the uh, Commanders, but my God, they just lost a couple games, and that was kind of a do-or-die game for them, yeah. knowing that they're in the middle of a three-game road trip, and they couldn't win that game, knowing that you know they probably don't have a great chance to win this game. Next week, I forget who they get. I think it's another easier opponent again. Um, and they kind of no-showed that game. So, uh, And they scored 21 points or whatever it was last week, but seven came on a pick six, so they really scored 14. Um, there's just not a lot of offense here, and uh, it's just hard for me to get behind them and support them. I would you know, possibly look at the under a little bit because I think this defense has not been elite like they, everyone kind of thought they would be, but the defense has been okay and decent. Uh, and the Bills really don't run the ball a lot. And so the, the Packers are kind of built from a cornerback standpoint to kind of defend the pass a little bit. So especially if the Packers can't get their offense going, maybe the under is a decent play, uh, but no play for me in this game. And um, it's hard for me to support Green Bay. All right. Did I hear the man say the Packers are having trouble throwing the ball? It is. That is the case with Aaron Rodgers right now. Uh, they play Detroit, by the way, next week in Detroit off of this game. Let's see what happens on Sunday night football. They will be jacked in Buffalo to maybe get another big win. Remember, they blew away the Titans on the Monday night uh, back a few weeks ago. Let's see what happens in that matchup. One game to go. No official play from the guys on that one. One game to go, and that is the Monday night game, Bengals and Browns. That is going to close the show out. We see Cincinnati laying four off the big win over Atlanta at home. 
Cleveland, you can't they, they can't figure it out, especially in close games. They keep losing close game after close game, including last week when they were winning in the second half in Baltimore. The total is 47. Scott Kellen, quickly back to you to wrap the show. No official play, but a thought or two here. Yeah, and the total, as we've been doing the show, is down to 46 now. I saw, I didn't read the uh, the, the article, but I saw a headline, uh, Chase did not practice because of a hip issue. That's probably why this total came down to 46, so just FYI on that. Um, my number supports Cincinnati here. This game, in a way, kind of feels like a game for Cleveland. Um, Cleveland's defensive numbers are not real good, but they got Clowney back last week. He had missed a couple games. You know, him and Garrett... That's a pretty formidable uh, Russian, uh, a pass rushing attack. So I worry a little bit about that. Obviously, Cleveland wants to run the ball here against a Cincinnati run defense that's really average defending the run. Cincinnati wants to throw the ball against a Cleveland secondary that is pretty suspect. Uh, and, you know, I think the Bengals can have some success through the air. They're fourth best in the league in generating big pass plays. Cleveland 10th worst in the league in allowing big pass plays. Again, Clowney being out, maybe that's played into that a little bit. Garrett's missed a little bit of time. Cleveland doesn't generate big pass plays. Both these offenses, by my metrics, are about average. The difference really lies in the defense. Cincinnati's a little bit above average defensively. Cleveland, a little bit below average defensively. I think that's where the difference lies. And if that stays the same, then I think it favors the Bengals. Lane points on the road on a Monday night, Halloween night, divisional game. Something just doesn't seem right about that, although my numbers do support Cincinnati. Uh, but no play for me in this game right now. All right, Chris Farley, a thought here on a Browns team that, remember, they won a game or two early on in the year, and then they had that collapse against the Jets. And I don't think that's everything, but maybe that's one of those that's had a carryover effect where they haven't really recovered fully from that, even to this stage. They've lost almost every close game they've played. All right, any thought if no official play on Browns hosting the Bengals for Monday? I took the Bengals at minus three. I'm comfortable with that. Um, I'm not comfortable with, you know, with minus four, uh, just because of your point there, TJ. You know, Browns, except for that game against the Patriots, you know, lost by three, lost by two, lost by three, lost by one. They're, they're losing really close games for the most part. And, you know, talk about a desperation spot, right? If, they're, if the Browns are going to be in this division, they have to win this game, period. But uh, in my opinion, the Bengals are, are increasingly going to be the team. I think that shows that they are the best team in the AFC North. Joe Burrow settling into his own a little bit more. Obviously, if you have the trio of wide receivers back with T. Higgins, that's a really, really tough trio for any defense to stop. And we know how bad that Cleveland Browns defense has been. So even though uh, Jamar Chase is uh, questionable right now, I, I, I think he's still a go for this game. And nothing really tells me that the Browns, unless they do get a lot more pressure on the quarterback, are going to be able to stop Joe Burrow. And that Bengals defense is also rounding into form. Yes. Every single week, we're seeing the Browns, despite the talent on their roster, making egregious coaching mistakes, like obvious run game situ um, rushing situations, and they're still forcing a pass with Jacoby Brissett, who's not making good throws in, in, those, in those big pressure moments. I just can't trust the Browns team anymore. Uh, and you know, kudos to Kyle Hunter, who's on the college football show. I know he's a big Bengals fan. And he took the Bengals at like plus 600 or something to win this division back in week two or three. That's a really good bet. I think they're the clear favorite. Joe Burrow, 780 yards and six touchdowns the last two games for whatever it's worth. Again, if Chase is not playing, and we won't know that bleeding all the way into Monday night, uh, then that makes a big difference. But if Jamar Chase is out there as a weapon or even as a decoy to draw double teams, 
Kansas or uh, Cincinnati's offense has been explosive for sure. So no official play from the guys on Bengals and Browns. All right, with that, we have come to the end of 15 games previewed here on the BetUS NFL show by means of recap, as I like to say. Let's take a look back at what the guys did during the show, what they're on officially. I won't go over all of it. There are a couple of plays on the Thursday night game. You see also further uh, a play from Scott on the Giants-Seattle game. Uh, Chris is believing in the New England Patriots despite the quarterback controversy and, uh, and there you go with the official plays on the show. With that, guys, it's been a bunch. It's been a bunch here on the program. Any final quick thoughts, uh, Scott Kellen, as we get out of here? Any thoughts? Uh, nope. As always, just looking forward to another hopefully great week of uh, football. And who would have thought, I believe, the Giants in Seattle – uh, only game with both teams over 500 this week. So how, how about that? And what nobody had that at the beginning of the year. Uh, can Farley's Giants get to seven and one? Any thought before we leave? Any final thought? Parting yeah, shot. My, my only thought is if you've lost your Survivor League this year or if you've had a tough year in betting, you know, don't be upset about it. A lot of people are having a really tough time this year. The Circus Survivor contest had over 6,000 contestants. It is down to 125 contestants in week eight. So that goes to show you. A lot of crazy upsets, favorites not covering that should. It's a tough year. You know, just continue to be cautious with your bets. Again, we're here live at 1 Eastern time on Thursdays. One more special reminder, I will be back as it stands right now in about two and a half hours at Raymond James Stadium. I got to get out of here, guys, and get to the Buccaneers-Ravens game. A live show coming on this channel, also cross-promoting Three Dog Thursday for the Buccaneers and the Ravens. Look forward to that. Chris, thank you. Scott, thank you. And we thank you folks for watching.